Welcome to your favorite podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. My name is Monica and every week we are joined with a new guest, new topics, new movies and TV shows to review. And if you're someone who likes to indulge in celebrity gossip every now and then, you have at least one movie that you absolutely love but Rotten Tomatoes hates. Or if you're someone who agrees that Netflix doesn't know how to market their new shows properly and they don't really give them enough time to, to like breathe or find their footing, then this podcast is for you, okay? Check us out on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And here is the show. Goodbye. Hi, guys. Welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am your host, Monica. And guys, new week, new topic, new guest. And this week, we have a returning guest with us today. And I'm just going to go ahead and let her introduce herself to you guys. Hello, I'm Sarah. I the last time I was here, we were talking about the Flanaverse, yes, which we was always exciting. Yes. Um, I write for a few websites: This Insider, Cinema Spot. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to be back. Yes, guys, we are so happy to have you here with us today. Uh, we are going to be talking about, like Sarah had mentioned, uh, last time she was on the podcast, we talked about the Flaniverse, which is basically the um, <laughs> multiverse of Mike Flanagan's work on Netflix, which includes The Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Blind Manor, and at the time, Midnight Mass. And today we were talking about his newest release, which is The Fall of the House of Usher, which is a mini series, a dramatic mini series that takes inspiration from Edgar Allan Poe's works, short stories, and poems, namely from his short story, The Fall of the House of Usher, which has the same name as the series. And before we dive into all of that, um, we're going to just talk about a few hot topics and some entertainment news. Um, for the past couple of months since the writer strike started in may i've been talking about the writer's strike and showing my support for the writer's strike as well as currently ended which is really great but of course now the actor strike is going on and sag aftra has been going through negotiations with the amptp and studios trying to find a fair deal for actors and other people who are employed under sag aftra and it's looking like this strike is going to be continuing into 2024, which of course is, um, for me, it's a little like bittersweet because I want so badly for the strike to be over because I want them to get a fair deal. I want them Mm -hmm. to be able to sit down in negotiations and the studios will meet their demands and then actors can move forward with being paid fairly as well as like set workers, dancers, extras, and other people like that. And it's been really difficult. There's been a lot of back and forth and there have been a lot of things being thrown around um, in the media. And I just want to say for for however long it takes for them to get a fair deal, I think they should take that time to get that deal and we have to mm-hmm. wait if we have to wait until 2024 that's just how it is if he has to push off every single movie that's going to be coming out yeah that's just what it's going to be i guess that's just yeah. where we are right now yeah i can wait i can wait for a movie or a show that doesn't mm-hmm. bother me too much mm-hmm. as long as they get in what they deserve to be paid yeah the main thing I, I did see i did see earlier today or maybe Maybe with the time zones, it might have worked out late last night in the US. 
that they sent in a counter offer, like SAG after had sent in a counter offer. So I think they're just waiting to hear back on that. But I don't know where that's going to go. But I, I agree. I think it probably is going to end up going into 2024. But like you said, if that's how long it takes, then that's how long it takes. Exactly. So we'll see what happens. And I did see an interesting piece of um, news today. Apparently, Jacob Alordi, who is the star from Euphoria, uh, he's currently playing Elvis in the new Priscilla biopic directed by Sofia Coppola. He said that his only point of reference for Elvis Presley was Lilo and Stitch, which I felt was kind of random, but I also feel like that man could not be serious right now. Like, that, yeah, that's it. That's all he saw of. <laughs> I, I guess so. Like, he would, he basically said that like he didn't know anything about the king of rock and roll other than what he knew from lead low and stitch which is wild to me yeah but sure okay let's i let's just that. it kind of makes you want to know like where has he been his whole life well he's i mean he's pretty young so I mean, I wouldn't fault him for not knowing who Elvis is. It's kind of one of those things where, like, a young person says something, it's kind of out of pocket, and then someone who's, like, a lot older who has, like, a deep um, personal uh, connection to this thing is like, how could you not know who Elvis is? Yeah. <laughs> how could you not know the song You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog? What are you talking about? It's like, I mean, a lot of people don't really know who Elvis is or don't care that much. Like, I only know yeah. two Elvis songs, which is the Hound Dog song that I just mentioned, and then Can't Help Falling in Love with You. That's it. Yeah. And there's another song he has. It's like, one for the money, two for the show. I don't really know how the whole song goes. I only know it from... Oh, uh, Blue Suede Shoes. That's that okay, one. Okay, yeah. Blue Suede Shoes. Yes. I did have a teacher when I was younger who used to play Elvis all the time. Um. Hmm. None of it stuck with me, apparently. I mean, she was my second grade teacher, so it doesn't really matter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. How old is second grade? Sorry, that's different. I don't know. Eight? Eight. Oh, well, so. yeah, eight. I don't think you're really paying much attention to everything going on at eight years old. You're too busy doing your own thing, so. Yeah, it's true. So it's definitely going to be interesting um, yeah. when this biopic comes out. Um, are you going to watch this biopic? I, I think I've, I don't know. I, I still haven't seen the Elvis that came out last year. I'm not going to see it's it. It's not, it's not the kind of thing that really appeals to me, to be honest. And hmm. I don't know. I feel like that whole situation was very creepy. So I don't know how, if like, if they handle it bad, it's going to upset me even more. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I I don't care, to be honest. I don't care, because I don't like biopics. I'm sick of yeah. them being made. Like, even the ones that I do like, I I could do without them, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, for Priscilla, I know that, I, I mean, from what I had read in the past articles, she is involved in the making of this biopic okay and it's also a sofia sofia coppola film so i'm not surprised yeah. that she chose another white woman as her focus um yeah. <laughs> but you know well, it exists it's gonna happen it's gonna be made 
and it's gonna come out in theaters and that's just that so i really have nothing yeah. else to say right now um there are so many other things to watch and there are so many other things that are coming out soon that we can watch like i today i'm gonna go watch five nights at freddy's because the day we're recording oh, okay. this is the day that it comes out so after literally after we're done recording i'm gonna go watch the movie <laughs> okay i won't keep you too long then no <laughs> try and keep it under two hours rather than the three hours oh we had last God. time <laughs> that was a lot of fun that was a lot of fun that oh it's recording. always fun yeah but um yeah. i'm excited to watch it but i agree with you yeah Sorry, what were you there's saying? so many better things to say. No, I was just saying I agree with you. There's so many better things to say. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I'm just really excited for the Marvels for when that comes out. Yes. Um, me too. I just I can't wait, and it's so close now. We're almost there. We're I know. Almost there, and I have been needing like a good, fun movie to watch like the last fun movie i saw was blue beetle which wasn't that long ago i really enjoyed it and i do like there's a little part of me that wishes that the strike wasn't going on just so i could Mm -hmm. see like cast promotion for movies because i feel like the blue beetle cast they seem like such a tight-knit family from what i saw in the movie so i would love to see them Mm -hmm. like doing interviews or like playing with puppies for buzzfeed or like doing the things yeah. that they do you know like the director breaks down a fight scene for variety like that yeah. kind of stuff you know yeah the, uh, the the what's the one where they finish the google search i used to really yeah. enjoy those because they used to be such random things that they'd come up against yeah i would love to see george lopez do one of those uh videos yeah. that'd be a lot of fun yes but uh Maybe next year. <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe next year. We'll see what's going on. Um, yeah, there was also another movie that had a trailer that dropped. And this movie is coming out in December. It's called American Fiction. And it stars Jeffrey Wright and Issa Rae. And it's basically about this um, writer who um, has he's writing a novel, right? And basically he's trying to pitch mm-hmm. it. And they're asking him, like, oh, what's the novel all about? And he, like, lies about what the novel's about. He says it's about this guy and, like, basically writes a book about someone who is, like, kind of, like, in the hood. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he is trying to get his book published and he feels like these kind of stories are, like, harmful for, like, the black community in America. And then when yeah. he's on a call with a publisher and his agent, the publisher asks him, is this your story? Like, is this your life? And he's like, yeah, he lies, essentially. <laughs> and okay. his life just kind of devolves from there because he's very much not a guy from the hood. Like, he's very much, like, someone yeah. from, like, upper middle class family who's very well educated and, like, it's kind of blessed oh, to be a writer. Okay. So the, the movie's called American Fiction, it comes out in December, and I'm very excited to watch it um, because I've been needing, like, I need some good movies to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. I I think recently there's just hasn't been that much that's really... I've seen the trailer and gone, I really want to watch that. But in the last film where I was, like, that's that was out of the cinema and I was like, I have to see this now with Barbie, I think, literally... <laughs> That was the last time I was like, I need to see this film. There have been a lot of movies this year that have been... I saw this on Twitter. Trailer fishing. 
where basically the trailer is so interesting and gripping and it makes you want to watch the movie and to go see it and then you watch the movie and you hate it like not hate it yeah. but not like it as much because there were some people that obviously like saw the five nights at freddy's trailer which is really really good and initial reviews for the tra- for the movie have not been great i don't care i'll watch a bad movie like i'll i'll yeah. you know i'll stand by what i i'll stand by what i said because venom is one of my favorite movies ever and that movie is not great the second one is a little bit better but i don't care i like them both okay and yeah. then saltburn is another one because the trailer is really masterfully done and emerald yeah. panel is a phenomenal director she is but there have been some people on film Twitter saying that the movie was not that good. So there's been a lot of that going on. I also think sometimes, like, I don't need every single film to be a cinematic masterpiece. Sometimes I just need a film that's going to keep me entertained and keep me like, okay, I'm just going to tune out for a couple of hours and just enjoy my time. I definitely agree with that. Like, sometimes I just need a film that's, like, fun. But if I'm watching a movie and it's bad, like, it's just bad, then I'm just kind of like, oh, why? Because I've gone to the point now (laughs) where I'm like, I, me, myself, and I, I will walk out of the movie theater. Because if if it's not interesting to me, I'm not going to finish it. I've started, like, stop, I will watch start movies on streaming services and I'll just stop them. I'll just be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm yeah. going to go rewatch Heartstopper instead of finishing this because this is a waste of my time. Yeah. I did that recently with. Um, I decided to watch that film Old, the uh, M. Night Shyamalan one. I haven't and... seen it, but let me tell you something. No, go don't, ahead. Go ahead. Don't go do ahead. It. <laughs> don't watch it. I got to like a certain point of the film and it wasn't great, but I was like, I'm going to power through because. I like some of the actors in this film mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna power through this and then I just got to this one point and I was like no no I just can't I just cannot do this I don't know what it is about M. Night Shyamalan's recent movies but it feels like mm-hmm. whenever you you know hear about the film and you hear what it's about it's like oh this is a good concept this is a great idea I want to go see yeah. it I want to see this in manifested as a film you know and then you watch it and it feels like it starts off good but then it feels like he started off with a good idea and then he kind of just like yeah. bs the rest of it so then you're watching it and you're like okay yeah. so what's going to happen like what's next what's the point of this like I watched I tried finishing um knock at the cabin and let me say something. Yeah. First thirty minutes, I was just like, okay, you know what? I don't care who you pick. I don't care who you pick. Yeah. I would just rather let the world burn at this point because this is so bad. Yeah. Also, Dave Bautista is such a good actor. Why yeah. is he in this terrible <laughs> movie? It's bad. Uh, that's that's the problem. And i i re I recently rewatched. I recently watched The Village. And signs, mm-hmm. and the village is a great film okay. until the end of the film. Hmm. There's like a very definitive point in the film where everything changes, and then it just goes downhill. And I'm like, if they'd have carried on with like what the th- the first part of the film is, mm-hmm. like that would have been a really great and terrifying film. And signs, I think, is sort of just universally accepted as a very good film, generally, anyway. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though the end of the film does annoy me a bit, mm-hmm. like have you seen Signs? I have, yeah. 
it annoys me that they're essentially asleep for the entire alien invasion. You don't see anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's such a it's such a cop out. It's me and John were talking about it, and we were saying it's like very akin to the uh, "it was all a dream" <laughs> sort of thing. Like you just feel let down. Mm hmm. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I just sometimes when you watch movies that are heralded as like this is one of the best movies ever made if you have like yeah. a list of the top 100 movies are robert roger roger ebert like that's on the list and then you go watch it and then you're like i don't know why y'all like this movie so much it's terrible like yeah it's not good and a lot of times when people regard movies that are so poignant and important to cinema i understand that when that movie was made during that time period. It seemed like a turning point of cinema. It seemed like, oh my gosh, yeah. this movie has never been made before. This concept is so different. The cinematography, the writing, the direction, the acting, the artistic and visual aspects of it is so phenomenal and out there and out of this world. So now when we watch it in present day, it's just kind of like, okay. So they were asleep during the whole thing? Got it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. So for us, it's not as impactful. And for yeah. people who like were alive during that time period, it's like one of the best things they've ever seen. And then they also hate new cinema, which is stupid because new cinema gets better every single year. But you know, we don't need to get into that conversation. But yeah, yeah, no, but uh, but yeah, no, I agree with you. It. I can't even remember how we got on this topic. We, we were oh, talking, we were about, talking about like yeah, trailers that like. The trailer fishing but yeah isn't that the point of a trailer isn't the trailer supposed to be so good it makes you want to see the film yes yes it is it's just disappointing when the yeah. film sucks definitely mm -hmm. i think that's why i kind of i'll watch trailers for some things i'll watch it for like uh marvel films because mm -hmm. it's a marvel film it's it is what it is yeah. I, i'm not expecting a great deal yeah. from it apart from the eternals because that was great but um, I watch trailers for Marvel films and Disney films because, again, it's, you know, it is what it is. But for everything else, I'm like, I like to go in blind because, mm. like, I don't want to go in with this idea of, like, this is going to be the best film ever. Mm -hmm. And then get in there and be like, oh, no, yeah. I've made a mistake. I completely agree with you. A hundred percent. I... I do think it's better to go in blind when it comes to like certain movies, you know, just so mm -hmm. you have just like a fresh mind and just kind of like open to what you're going to see. That way you're not kind of being like, okay, so this is going to happen. This is going to happen. You're not trying to like predict that. I guess. Mm. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's it, because I think when you see a trailer, sometimes you sort of make the story in your mind, or you make the film in your mind, like, okay, I guess this is what's going to happen, and then if it's not a great film, or if it's nothing like what you imagined, it can just be a bit like, oh, okay, that's what's happened there, then. Yeah. I also um, wanted to bring up the new Martin Scorsese movie, also, the fact that Mars Scorsese joined Letterboxd, which I find hilarious. Like, obviously, his, like, I think it's his granddaughter who probably introduced it to him. Because he's always on her TikTok. 
Yeah. 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 I've seen I've seen them do a few videos together. Yes. Like the most recent one was that one where she was getting into like, what does this slang mean? Mm -hmm. It's so funny. It's so funny to me. Uh, but yes, Martin Scorsese has a new film out called Killers of the Flower Moon. It is a film that follows the David Grand book of the same name about a series of murders in the 1920s in Oklahoma. And this movie does feature a lot of indigenous actors. It follows a story um, related to the indigenous people um, in that um, book, The Osage, I believe uh, is mm. the name. And recently there was an actress she was on reservation dogs i'm gonna try and look it up right now um hold on she yeah she made a whole twitter thread um uh, basically um reservation dog star devry jacobs she criticized flower moon um for being a painful and grueling film and I do encourage everyone to go look up the article. There are a new number of articles, but I do encourage everyone to go read an article in regards to what she said. Cause I was kind of on the fence of whether or not I was going to see Killers of the Flower Moon. Cause a lot of people have said a lot of positive things about it. And Lily Gladstone is one of those very underrated actresses that not a lot of people know about. I know her <laughs> from Crash Course's screenwriting course. <laughs> that they have so that's okay. where that's where i recognize her from um i think it was crush course film theory but she's also been in a couple of different movies she was in the most popular one is certain women that came out in 2016 that also starred uh kirsten kirsten stewart um but Jeffrey jones basically mm -hmm. like talks about how this movie is not a great movie in terms of representation for indigenous people and um, i do encourage everyone to go read that and you educate yourselves first and allow that to you know kind of like help you make an opinion or they're not going to watch the movie because i'm going to be honest with you i really wasn't planning on watching that movie because it's three hours long yeah i'm good like that's why i haven't seen oppenheimer yet it's three hours i'm good i'm fine yeah no films of that length and there's been some i've seen some like discourse and film twitter recently about this but like films of that length i need to be at home so that i can like if i need to take that break or whatever i can but like um i saw recently because there are some cinemas that are putting an interval in the middle of flower moon yeah but for me i go and see movies by myself if i'm going to go see a yeah. movie i have to see it with someone and nobody that i know personally to ask to go see a movie would voluntarily sit through yeah. your movie yeah and also like i'm not being funny but i've got stuff to do i yeah. don't have that in total is probably going to work out at like a five hour trip because i've got to like get to the cinema i've got to do what i need to do watch the film and then like get back afterwards like mm -hmm. i don't think i have five hours of my day just free to be like okay i'm gonna dedicate this now to just one film mm -hmm. yeah also like for me, now that I work from home, I do have more time to see movies, but I still have to factor in, like, how does that affect the rest of my day? Like, how am I going to, like, um, schedule my whole day around watching a film? You know, because Killer, um, The Killer, which is David Fincher's newest film starring Michael Fassbender, just got, came out, but it's only showing in one theater where I live, and that theater is an hour away. 
And I think to myself, am I going to drive an hour to go see a movie? Are we doing this? Also, it's at like an art cinema. And it's one of those cinemas that only plays, mainly just plays independent films. Um, And so I'm guessing it's not going to be, you know, affordable. You know, and like an hour drive, like, am I also going to get snacks at that theater? And it's already like pricey enough to get popcorn at a theater. Oh my God, no. Like, why is it $8 to get some uh, chicken tenders and not even get french fries with the chicken tenders? At least there was some french fries, you know, so. <laughs> Just give me a real deal. Just give me some Please. kind of real deal. Stop it's not going to cost me 20, 20 quid to do it. Be fair. Yeah. Oh. So, I, I think I'm going to take some time to do a little bit more research. I don't know what the movie's mm-hmm. about, if I'm being honest. I, I kind of forgot this movie was coming out. If, if I'm yeah. being real with you guys. Um, people mentioned that it was going to be three hours, but that was like a couple months ago. And now the movie is coming out. And now it's kind of like, okay. Um, yeah. I, I am also going to be honest to say, I haven't watched any of Martin Scorsese's movies. I just haven't. I feel like I've seen a few. I think it's one of those things that like they're on and I'll be like, okay, I'll watch this because, you know, it's Martin Scorsese. And then, I don't know. I, I feel like if you say anything bad about him, some some people will be like, "How dare you? That's Martin Scorsese." I but if you don't like the films he makes, <laughs> I once on our Instagram we posted a clip um, saying that it's not Marvel that's killing cinema; it's capitalism. And there are all these people in the comments being upset and like being like, "Oh, learn another word" or stuff like that. And so then I made a whole YouTube video about it and put it up because I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. At the end of the day, this is my yeah. podcast. All right, this is my show, yeah. not yours. Okay. Maybe... If you've got someone to say, make your own show. <laughs> exactly. I I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Put yeah. in the effort. Okay, make it happen. Let's see it. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right, things. though. The only reason we've got like a thousand Marvel films that's going to carry on for another ten years is because they're making money, mm-hmm. not because. Or it's and it's the same with everything. DC are, are trying their best to do the same thing because they know that they'll make money and there's always sequels to things that do well. So it's like you said, it's not it's not specifically Marvel. It's companies just being greedy. Yeah, I mean the full theory behind it. Um, I got this from a Patrick H. Wellens video. He's a very well known uh, YouTuber who does like film critiques and stuff like that. He said that essentially when they were making movies when you start making movies and you know whenever they started making movies um a lot of them were just like poignant dramas that had deep meanings and um you know drew on the audience's heartstrings and then studios were kind of um find they're trying to find new ideas um about like what kind of movies should we make and one thing they realized was one thing they figured out oh well what if we make movies based off of like books you know existing ip because there's already a built-in fan base there so we can make the movies and tap into that fan base and get these people to come and watch our movies so then they started doing the franchise models with like harry potter and lord of the rings and then soon they started they did spider-man and Spider-Man being such a well-known and beloved comic book character brought in a lot of money to the box office and <clears throat> there was a time in cinema when whenever a movie came out people would go see the movie for the actor 
You know, people aren't mm-hmm. going to see Pretty Woman. They're going to see the new Julia Roberts movie. You know, they're yeah. going to see Sylvester Stallone. They're going to see Tom Cruise. They're going to see Jack Nicholson. And that mm-hmm. was kind of their blueprint to get butts in the seats in the theaters is to have a well-known actor in your film and have their face on the poster of the movie. And the poster doesn't indicate anything about the film. It just has the actor's face on it to kind of draw people in to watch the movie. And then when yeah. they saw how well Spider-Man did, they realized, okay, so comic book movies can bring in a lot of money. Thus creating Marvel Studios and then creating, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Scarlet, um, you know, um, Black Widow. And with that then brought forth superhero movies and of course yeah. brought forth sequels and then remakes and now we're kind of like in this age of cinema where um what brings people in more often than not are you know these movies of existing ips or things that are familiar to you you know movies based off of your childhood nostalgia things like that and although mm-hmm. that is something that does bring in a lot of people to watch films, I do have to say that there are still movies that have, you know, original ideas and concepts and phenomenal writing, direction, and acting that does bring people into watch. Like, Barbie is a good example because even though it's based off of the toy Barbie, really, the movie is about womanhood and what it means to be a young girl and growing up and growing into your existence of who you are, understanding your identity in a world that doesn't, that sees you as an object and a world that sees you as a mother or, you know, a number of other things. And yeah, it's based off of like the Barbie dolls, but you also have the amazing mind of Greta Gerwig, who has brought us other films like Little Women and Lady Bird. Um, to kind of bring this vision to life. So I wouldn't say um, cinema is dead or cinema is dying because there are still a lot of movies that come out every single year that draw people in to the theaters. Like Mm -hmm. Talk To Me is one of them, even though it's like, it's a horror movie, but it's still a movie that people have watched and people loved. And it resonated with people because even though it's a horror movie, it really is a film about like grief, you know, and death. And how do you move forward from there? And there's also streaming as well. That's another reason why cinema has changed Mm -hmm. so much is the introduction of streaming. And also the streaming model has changed, you know, how there are a lot of movies are exclusive to Netflix only. And then, of course, there was Hulu. And now there's HBO, which turned to Max. And then um, Apple TV and a number of other streaming services have popped up to the point where there are a lot of movies that are being made that are exclusive to these streaming services. Some of them get released on the streaming service and in theaters, but it's a limited release. It's mainly on streaming. So a lot of things have changed the landscape of cinema, as well as TV too, because TV has gotten a lot better. And a lot of TV shows have the same quality in cinematography Mm -hmm. that you would expect in movies. You know, one TV show that comes to mind for me is Watchmen. I feel like Watchmen is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And you couldn't make that into a movie. It has to be a TV show, you know, because it's just that good. So there are a number of factors. And I feel like when people say that Marvel is the reason why cinema is dying or superhero movies or remakes, that's a red herring. You know, that's just the easy answer. It's easy to throw a blame on that, but it's just part of a bigger problem. It's a complex issue at that. And you can't just say it's one thing. 
you know. Absolutely. and I, But I also think as well, like, there's a lot of people who would go to the cinema to watch a Marvel movie that mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily go to the cinema to watch Killers of the Flower Moon or yeah. whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly right. if anything, this they're helping, like you said, they're still helping to keep the cinema going because you can have those like big epic blockbuster films or those more like independent films, but if cinemas aren't making money and they start shutting down, you're not gonna have anywhere to watch it. So you need you kind of still need those big action blockbuster films to to like go along with it because yeah, yeah. not many people are gonna not many people I know who aren't like big film people are gonna go and watch this you know, Killers of the Flower Moon because mm-hmm. it's just too long and not many people know what it's about. So mm-hmm. I agree with you one hundred percent and I think that I don't think we should like get away with from the summer blockbuster or, you know, those kind of films. I do think that there's space for any kind of movie. As long as they all have a chance to be like properly seen and like marketed towards you know everyone because i remember um july was a wild month for movies this year because of course everyone was kind of like anticipating barbie and oppenheimer that was like the big thing but there were a lot of other movies well not a lot but there are a few other movies that i wanted to see in july um one namely being cobweb which was a horror picture starring uh lizzie Lizzie Kaplan and also Anthony Starr from The Boys. <laughs> and it was basically like this indie okay. um, horror movie. But the thing that happens all the time is that when you have, like, obviously in the summer, you have these big blockbuster movies, whether it be Barbie, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, or like a Transformers movie, you know that more people are going to go see those films. So a lot of times when there are smaller films coming out, like uh, Cobweb or Joyride, which was a really great movie mm-hmm. that I didn't get to see in theaters. I had to like bootleg it because I didn't yeah. figure out how else to watch it. Um, these movies only get a limited release and then it's just straight to VOD. And yeah. It's just kind of unfair. It is. It's definitely an issue. I'm, I'm sure Jordan might have mentioned this too, but we have that issue here in the UK with um, A24 films. Because A24 doesn't really have, like, a big dish. Or it does have someone who's a a distributor for them in the UK. But, like, for example, when Everything Everywhere All at Once came out, Mm -hmm. we didn't get it till, like, three months after it had been out in the US. And then even when it did come out in the UK, like, my nearest cinema that was showing that film was this little art house cinema that it took me, like, an hour to get to. And it was the same for Jordan. He'd have had to have gone into London, which is like an hour away from where he lives. And and it was a massive film as well. After it came out, by that point, it was already getting all of this like hype around it because it was really, really popular. Mm -hmm. But still in the UK, it was like near impossible to see it for the first two or three weeks of it being on at the cinemas once it had finally been released over here. And you just sort of think like, ah, I like the... Just give it a chance. Just make yeah. it easier for us to see. Yeah. Damn, that sucks. Yeah. I didn't... Because uh, that... Talk to me is an A24 film. Yeah, it isn't is. Isn't it? Yeah. And I don't remember seeing that on in any cinemas. I know it's just come on to Netflix here. 
Oh, you stream Netflix everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's on Netflix now. Oh, for you. Yeah, Okay. I I guess. Because there's Netflix UK, you know. Your Netflix is different from my Netflix. I know, I know. It's so strange. It's so weird to me, like, how different they can be as well. Like, big films Yeah. that will be in the US but not in the UK and vice versa. It's crazy. If you ever want to do, like, I don't know how we can do this. If you want to ever do what we do with, like, a Discord call where we watch Talk To Me together, I would love to do that because I want to watch the movie, but I it, I know it's scary. Like, I know it's Yeah. properly scary. And Yeah. I can't do, I can do scary movies, but when it's like scary, that's when I'm like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Even the trailer for it frightens me Yes. enough I didn't even watch that the trailer. I don't know if I couldn't I can do sit it. and watch it. I couldn't even watch the trailer. The second I saw that hand, I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> No, because I know what's going on. I know what y'all are doing. yeah, that's that's some stuff that I just don't want to be involved in. Yes, But I yes. want to see what happens, but I know it's going to scare the crap out of me. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I do want to mention, because um, I usually, I use a VPN sometimes, because there are times when I want to watch something and it's not on Netflix US, so I'm like, let's see if it's Netflix UK, like Netflix Australia. And recently, I was using Netflix UK, And I saw that there is a show on HBO Max on there. It's called Starstruck. I highly recommend you we watch it. Um, I was going to say this for the end of the episode, but I might as well just talk about it now. Um, the show is called Starstruck. It's about this woman. She has a one night stand with this guy on New Year's Eve. And it turns out that this guy is a celebrity. But she didn't recognize him because she was drunk. So then they kind of have like this... kind of awkward but very sweet like on and off relationship almost situationship and the show has three seasons it's one of my favorite shows i've ever seen it is so funny it is so heartwarming and romantic and i find it to be very realistic i love shows that are like Oh, down to earth okay. true to form I want to watch a TV show where when I'm watching it I feel like I'm I'm watching someone's life unfold and that's Yeah. what this show feels like it's really really good Okay. and it was originally it was an HBO Max original series so I think that Right. it being on Netflix is kind of part of the distribution deal that HBO Yeah, we made don't with have it HBO Max in the UK, right so they have to find other ways to distribute it here. okay Yeah. So, but, so that Starstruck I've just looked, it's got Rose Matafeo in, I think she's the main girl, and I love her, she's hilarious. Oh, really? She's like, a very well-known stand-up comedian here, and in New Zealand as well, Mm -hmm. and I think she's so funny, so I will definitely check that out, I didn't know that that show was a thing. It's really good. You should definitely watch it. I <laughs> enjoyed it so much. Okay. okay. So we are going to go ahead and jump into the main topic of our podcast, uh, which is the fall of the House of Usher. This show was released pretty recently on Netflix on October 12th. It's created by Mike Flanagan, who we have spoken about before, and it's loosely based off of Edgar Allan Poe's short story of the same name and other works by Edgar Allan Poe. The show follows the Usher family who have built the Fortunato Pharmaceuticals Company into an empire of wealth, privilege, and power. It follows the siblings Roderick and Madeline Usher who are the focus of the show and past secrets come to light when the heirs of the Usher dynasty start dying. 
at the hands of a mysterious woman from their youth. Um, overall, the show, I'd say I love it so much. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, um, I was so I have been waiting for this show to come out for forever. Like when <laughs> it was first announced, I think it was first announced maybe around the same time we did the podcast last year. So yeah. I've, yeah. I've been waiting patiently. This is the first time where something I was wanting to something I've been anticipating comes out and I immediately watch it. Like usually I wait yeah. and I take a pause. But this, when it released, I was like, absolutely not. I have to watch this right now. And I'm telling you right now, <laughs> this is not the kind of show you watch at the family room, guys. Right? Oh. I just want to say that. No, no, no. Like with, with, like, with most of Flanagan's works, um, viewer discretion is advised. Okay. But uh, basically, the show follows uh, Roderick and Madeline Usher. They are siblings of, they're two siblings, and they're the children of Eliza Usher. Eliza Usher is a very um, pious and religious woman. She is raising Roderick and Madeline on their own, and they soon find out that they are the illegitimate son, illegitimate kids of their mom's boss, Longfellow. And their mom has this disorder. She's dying. She's sick. They don't know what's going on with her. She has this illness. And so they ask Longfellow to help her out and, like, you know, just do something. And Longfellow doesn't do anything, doesn't do anything to help her. And the mom doesn't want to see a doctor because, you know, the only doctor she needs is Jesus, the Lord. Okay? Unfortunately, (laughs) she passes away and they bury her. And then they soon find out that their mom isn't dead. Okay, homegirl crawled out of that grave. Okay, and she comes out of her grave. They see that she's alive, and the mom goes after Longfellow. All right, she lets him know what's up, as in she strangles him to death. And you know, after he dies, she dies. Okay, and that's basically how their story begins. And I do want to say, like, a lot of people are trying to figure out, like, what's going on with the mom. Like, why does she? come back in a way yeah isn't there a post story about somebody who crawls out of a grave and... there is there is it's not one of the ones that i i read i read so many and then i got to the point where i was like oh there's so many i haven't read in time for this but it is i've got a i've got it here the premature burial is the name mm. of the story because it's something to do it's where they take the inspiration for that part and obviously like the end of the show as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the premature burial is the one. Oh, there's another one as well. Some words with a mummy. I've got my little, I'm going to, I'm going to show you. I've got my little list of uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories here. Ticked off ones that I've read. <laughs> and there's a lot, but there are a lot. Um, I do want to say, uh, I think that Mike Flanagan doing a show based off the po- the works about Edgar Allan Poe is so perfect. Like, literally, yes. like, of course he did. Of course he made a yeah. whole show um, completely inspired by the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Because if you know his life and yeah. if you know his stories and you watch uh, any of Mike Flanagan's works, you'll see that they are one in the same. 
Okay, so yeah. it does. It definitely makes sense, and you can see there's a lot of inspiration that he draws from Edgar Allan Poe's stories. Like their themes are common in his works, such as madness, family, isolation, mm-hmm. and metaphysical identities, otherwise um, mm-hmm. otherworldly creatures and forces that cannot be explained. You know, um, also like the names of some of the characters in the show feel like names that would be in Edgar Allan Poe works. Like Lenore is literally from um one yeah. of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories and there's like Tamerlane. I'm not gonna Yeah, lie. so they're all yeah. I looked into this. All of the kids uh have got names from Edgar Allan Poe stories. Oh, okay. So Lenore there is all poems as well, because there's some poems that he wrote. So mm-hmm. Lenore is in there's a sh- there's a poem called Lenore, and then also from the Raven, mm-hmm. as well. And there's a poem called Tamerlane, and they're all all of the kids have those names from different stories that he's just taken. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, the youngest one, uh, who is the main focus of the second episode, Prospero the main character in The Mask of the Red Death is Prince Prospero. Mm -hmm. Because at first I was a bit like, oh, that's weird. Like they've got, they've got weird names. Yeah. (laughs) Could you imagine like now in 2023, someone introducing themselves and being like, oh, I'm Napoleon or I'm Prospero. You'd be like, "Mm, are you really? (laughs) Napoleon. That's your name? Like on your birth certificate? Oh, okay. I need to see. I need to see a legal document that can says. I, can I see your driver's license? Like, for real? Let me see it. <laughs> yeah. Imagine naming your child Prospero. That kind of, well, to be honest, like, I feel like if you name your child Prospero, it's like naming your child Blessing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're kind of trying to will something good into your kid's life, which is fine. But also, the fact that, like, Roderick. Yeah, Roderick knows that his kids are going to meet their, like, untimely deaths due to the deal that they made. Yeah. You know, it's like, why? Yeah. Why would you give them these names? You know? But then I also, like, because there's a bit in the third episode, I think, where um, two of them are talking, two of, two of the bastards, as they call themselves in the show, are talking about when they first found out who their dad was. So I'm like, okay, so... Who called you Napoleon and who called you Prospero? Was that like your mom? Or did he change your name when you joined the family? Is that like part of the family rule? You have to have a an unusual name. Like because um Napoleon, Raoul Coley's character says he met his dad when he was eighteen, and I'm like, okay, so you were Napoleon from birth, or like at what point did this happen? <laughs> I feel like maybe I don't know. I feel like some of these names are like their first name or their middle names and they just go by them because it's just cooler than being like Tom yeah. or like Bridget, you know what I mean? Like if, yeah. you, if you'd rather be called Victorine than be called like Ophelia, I get it. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot that we can discuss in regards to the show. I'm not that interested in doing like an episode by episode kind of review no. we could just go over like we could do the general overview of the show um there are a lot of easter eggs and mm-hmm. a lot of references 
from Poe's works such as you know the raven and the mask of the red death and obviously the tell the telltale heart is like Mm -hmm. a really big um reference within the show yeah so you can kind of go like beat by beat um and i think that one aspect of the show that i really loved was the flashbacks because um that is something that's obviously utilized in Flanagan's works, but I feel like the flashback to really give us an understanding of why Dupin does not like, uh, yeah, uh, Usher, because at yeah. first it's kind of like, oh, well, he's the assistant district attorney and Roderick is the CEO of a pharmaceutical company that has caused many people to die. So of course he doesn't like him, but finding out it's personal, it's like, oh, yeah yeah that'd be for real when it got to that episode and like that happens when you find out where they where they sort of like fell out with each other and all hell broke loose between mm-hmm. them i was like oh my god yeah this man really hates him like yeah. he definitely hates him he was sitting there he's like so you invite me into your house i meet your wife and kids i feel like you're my guy and then you do me like this and not only does he not only does he be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I signed those documents. I signed those documents. He then smears Dupin. He's like, uh, he's been yeah. stalking me. He's been harassing my family. Like, he is like, in fact, I'm going to sink your trial. I'm going to ruin this. And I'm taking your career with me. All right? Because one yeah. thing about it, two things for sure, I'm going to get mine and so is my sister. Okay? And then the yeah. day, we don't care about you. And that's really yeah. just like... I mean, you could have thrown out the case, but my career too. I can't. Like, I need to work. Yeah. Oh. Like, oh god, because that. Yeah, I think, like you said at the beginning, you're like, okay, they're just, you know, they're on two different sides of the of the law here. Mm-hmm. And then as you're getting more into, you're like, no, no, they. He hates him. He hates uh, Roderick Usher. Like, why does he hate him? And then when you find out, you're like, I would hate him too. But like, well played, I guess. But also, I would hate him too. Yeah, honestly, um, when I saw, because um, obviously in the first episode, Dupin arrives at Roderick Roderick Usher's childhood home, and Roderick is just kind of like sitting there telling him the story. And me personally, I'm not a huge fan of shows or movies where we have to like learn about what happens through like the exposition of the main character. It's kind of like, okay, I guess. But with Dupin there, he does like levitate it a little bit so it isn't too tedious. And also, it's not that boring either because, of course, in very much haunting of Hill House or Blind Manor fashion, there are ghosts in the house. And (laughs) while he's telling his story, he's being haunted by his children and also, I think, by his mom. Because I think when he first told the story of, like, what happened to his mom, I feel like there was something in the background just behind Dupin. Just in the background. Because Dupin, he told told him to, like, turn around. And Dupin was like, I'm not, you're not going to get me. And I was like, okay, but, like, there's No, dude, turn around, please. There's something (laughs) there. So whenever you watch Hill House, there's like yeah. a ghost in every single corner. There's like a ghost in a mirror, yeah. you know, like they're everywhere. That's yeah. it. I, I rewatched Hill House recently because mm-hmm. I know people had said like, oh, there's lots of hidden ghosts. And I rewatched it and I was like, oh my God, there is. It's even more frightening. 
So now whenever I watch a Mike Flanagan show, I'm like, well, I have to look at every corner of the screen. If it's like a ghosty one, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to look at every corner of the screen because there's going to be something hidden behind there that's going to just scare the crap out of me otherwise. Did you see the guy fixing the clock in Hill House? Um, not until, not until he mentions it uh-huh. later in the show. Yeah. And then when you rewatch it and he's having the flashback, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, that guy is there. Yeah. But it, I think it was done so well because he just blends in. He just looks like, oh, they've got all workers in. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And it's wild because he, I forget the kid's name who sees the guy who's working on the clock, but he's the kid that doesn't believe in ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so yeah, ironic. Steven. That, yeah, Steven. It's so ironic that he saw that guy work on the clock because um, when you work on a clock or any kind of machinery like that, there are certain indications that's been repaired. It's called like a witness mark. And these mm-hmm. ghosts are like almost a witness marks of like all the trauma that happened in Hill House, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. I'm sure if you look at the clock and try to see if it's been worked on, nothing has been done to that clock since it was put in that house from probably the very beginning, yeah. you know. So for, probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. For him to mention like a worker and for you know it to be a ghost, it's ironic to me in a way. It's kind of like, mm. yeah, no. I think I think he works. I think that's one of the things that Mike Flanagan does really well in mm-hmm. that like he'll have these themes that he has throughout, but then he'll do really well with like merging in the characters that sort of match with that theme, even if it's just someone that you see very briefly or very quickly. Or, like, just once, like, the guy fixing the clock. But, um, no, he is, he is really good. Like you said, he has those themes that he has in most of his shows. Mm -hmm. I've not really seen any of his films, but I've seen his shows. And working in the characters that sort of kind of represent that a little bit, I think he's really good at that as well. Yeah. Mike Flanagan is truly one of my favorite creators. And when I watch his shows, um... It reminds me of this interesting literary device that I think Tumblr kind of popularized. And basically it's just saying like, the curtains are blue, you know. And it's basically, um, people say that because a lot of times when you're watching cinema or watching a TV show, people will read into things and look into like the meanings of things that you see on the TV or the screen, whatever it is. And they try to find symbolism. But oftentimes when you're watching something, people will try to find symbolism in like the smallest details when there really isn't any symbolism there. It's just kind of like, you know, you're trying to figure out like, why are these curtains blue? It's just like the curtains are blue. That's it. But sometimes they do require a little bit more critique, a little bit more of a deeper analysis and a a closer look into what's happening on the screen. So I do enjoy Mike Flanagan's work because he invites us to really look into like the little intricate details of what he's creating because that's the kind of mind that he has that's what he wants us Mm -hmm. to do you know he invites us into the writer's room with him and he's like i want you to see all the little you know pieces of the puzzle that i have created to make this masterpiece for you guys yeah absolutely and he he puts it together so well Uh he always puts it together really well extraordinarily and extremely well yeah and like you said he wants you to sort of look deeper and even sometimes there might not be anything there to see but then sometimes there is and you're like oh my god like that's really clever yeah or sometimes it takes like 
more than one watch i found like with hill house and um maybe not so much with midnight mass but i've watched that a few times anyway because that's one of my favorites um but you'll be watching it like for the second or third time and you kind of know what's coming so you see all the bits and you're like oh my god yeah that's like yeah i do love midnight mass um because me like (laughs) as a christian i love any kind of media that like kind of turns a skeptical eye towards like the church or christianity or any kind of religious beliefs because i do find it interesting to see it from different perspectives and I'm watching Midnight Mass. I did watch a lot of video essays, basically trying yeah. to analyze what's going on there. And a lot of people were kind of trying to decode the creature in the show. And a lot of people were saying, like, maybe this is like an angel. Because you can read back in the book of Revelations about how angels don't exactly look like heavenly beings. But there are some mm-hmm. photos of angels with, like, eyes all over them. And, like, some images of them. Yeah. So... Um, for the pastor to see this thing in a cave in a desert in, I think, Israel? He was at? Uh, I don't remember exactly. Or yeah. Egypt, wherever he was. Yeah. And see this creature of something of mythic and of, like, otherworldly, like, otherworldly creature. And he's like, it's yeah. an angel. Because it revived him and it, it, like, you know, it made him alive again. But to see, like, you know, just how kind of weird and twisted it was. I knew me yeah. immediately. I would be like, absolutely not. I'm walking into the sun. I'm actually, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to thank you for the gift of life. But yeah. you know what? I'm actually good. And I'm yeah. going to go see my redeemer. All right. I don't know who you are. But one thing I do Love know. what you do in here. Well, it's not my I'm business. out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. I'm gone. I'm good. Yeah. What I what I really liked about the creature was that he didn't explain what it was. Like oh, I think no. so many films, they'll have like a or shows will have a part where they're like, okay, this is what the creature is. Mm-hmm. But I like that you the get the whole exposition behind you, the creature and the mythology yeah. of it. And he he's yeah. Mike Flanagan is like, you know what? A lot of times people who are so deep in their faith, they will see certain meanings and they'll just um, you know attribute it to what they believe it to be, like. The actress who played Tamerlan in The Fall of House of Usher in Midnight Mass, she was showing up just like, this is a gift from God for us to wipe out sin. And I was sitting here like, girl, that is a vampire. You need to run. <laughs> yeah. You need to get as far away you from there as you go. possibly can. Don't do the things that you're planning on doing. No. Just, just leave. But, um, but, yeah, no, I really like... Because we know what they think. Some people think it's an angel. Some people think it's a vampire. But you never get given like a definitive answer. Answer. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of done that in the fall of the House of Usher as well with um. Verna. But I, I can't. Yeah. You don't. Is she? Is she the devil? Is she like death personified? Mm-hmm. Is she just like some kind of otherworldly being that just likes to mess about with humans? Like. Mm-hmm. You're not given a definitive answer of what she is, but she's still there and she's still going to mess you up. I do want to say I did do some research because I wanted to figure it out. Because a lot <laughs> of the video essays I was watching in anticipation for this recording, they were just kind of attributing Verna to a embodiment of death. 
And I'm not taking that for an answer. That's too easy of an answer. <laughs> so I was doing some research. And of course, in every single video I say, they're like, Verna is an anagram for a raven. And the raven is a symbol that comes up a lot in Edgar Allan Poe's work. And of course, mm-hmm. he also has his poem, The Raven. And The Raven has also been noted as a symbol of death and other works in media. Mm-hmm. Um, the narrative poem, The Raven, just for background for people, um, written by Edgar Allan Poe. It is about this man who is mourning the loss of his beloved Lenore. And he falls asleep. He hears him tapping at his chamber door. And he sees a raven. Like he um, opens a window and a raven flies in on the bus of Pallas Athena. And the raven just says a word, nevermore. You know, just as a reflection of his own despair and grief. Mm-hmm. And he gets so desperate and frustrated. And he asks the raven to leave him alone but it just stays on the perch. And the poem ends with the narrator accepting that he'll never be free of the raven's shadow or memory of his loss of Lenore. You know, yeah. it's basically an exploration on grief. And I can understand why from the poem and from like all these other clues, people can easily deduce that like Verna is yeah. somehow an agent of death in a way, or like a demon, you know, that's come to walk the earth. And she strikes a deal with, um, the ushers but me i think that verna is a raven but the raven Mm -hmm. is also a trickster god in native american mythology and trickster figures can be seen as mischievous they can shapeshift because you know she can um mimic their voices like she did with frederick in the episode where he dies and she's also like the raven is also known as a creator and a transformer which means it can change and transform things in the world by its action and decisions because you see Uh that verna gives all the kids options she doesn't really push them to do the right thing because they are definitely like they've come so far in their life of doing terrible things that one person yeah. them to do the right thing is not going to make them change their mind. You know, like when Camille was yeah. like storming into her sister's uh, facility, she was not going mm-hmm. to change her mind because some security guard told her she's not supposed to be in there. Yeah. She doesn't care. She's going to get what's hers. You know what I mean? And obviously like, um, this is kind of a, basic definition of what the raven is in native american mythology but the raven also has a lot of actions in different like stories within native american mythology that serve as lessons cautionary tales and they teach consequences of greed arrogance and foolishness which fits really well with um, the usher family so i would prefer to see Verna as a trickster god not in the same way that people see loki as a trickster god because he's just kind of like you know doing goofs and you know less yeah. but he's just doing it for the lulls but verna really yeah. is trying to like teach these people a yeah. lesson and make them see the error of their ways and i feel like trickster god fits better than demon you know what i mean yeah. like that just makes more definitely sense. and she also references how she's been on this earth for so long and she talks yeah. about humans as if she is not human herself yeah and i feel like that definitely fits like if she's been around as a native american she's definitely seen all humans can do yeah. so she knows definitely yeah. okay yeah i didn't know that but that like you said it makes perfect sense because that is that is definitely what she's doing mm-hmm. like you said she gives each of them a choice before before they ultimately before they reach a horrible end she gives each of them a choice to just 
I mean, I think we find out at the end that they were the kids were always gonna die, but she mm-hmm. gives them a choice between like the horrible end or like a peaceful end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Could have done more research, but <laughs> no, that definitely fits because she has a little bit of a trickster, like the way she creates the bar and she draws them in, and like yes. the bar is interesting. Yeah, and um, but I, I really like. I really liked her character because you didn't necessarily know where she was going to show up, mm-hmm. but you're just always looking for her and you're just like, okay, okay. So this is, this is what's going to happen for this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do think that, especially with the scene at the bar was very interesting. Um, my plan again is so funny. Starting to show off with the song, another brick, in the wall by pink floyd you think you're hilarious huh you think you're that guy okay so smart oh what a clever man um but the bar scene is definitely interesting because it's very clear that when they're in the bar she's like madeline straight up says it like they're there to like for an alibi and in my head i'm like oh they killed somebody and i didn't even think twice about it i'm like okay it's in my mind i've already said they kill somebody. And yeah. when we're introduced to Rufus, I'm like, oh, it's him. It's, it's, yeah. it's definitely you. Like, don't, yeah. you ain't got to convince me. This yeah. guy is not going to last long in this show. And I'm great. I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. In fact, like, in fact, if you can kill him right now, I would prefer it. Because yeah. the actor who plays Rufus Gridwald, Griswold, he is a really great actor. But he's such a terrible character. Such a terrible guy. Yeah. Ugh. No. I liked he got. Oh yeah, definitely. I liked that whole uh, the flashbacks with them and seeing them in his office at the time and like the little back and forth that they had with him. And I also agree, like his his end was definitely very much deserved. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I also want to say. But then I think. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think at first it threw me a little bit when it when you first see them in the bar and you see he's got like something on his hands. He tries to like hide his hands, but then the very next scene is uh, August Dupin finding the open grave. I was like, oh, have they have they been grave robbing in the night? Like, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know which way it was going to go. But then as it got further into it, and then I did actually sit and watch through a second time after I read some of the Poe stories and poems, because I was like, okay, now I know a bit more. I know like, okay, that's a bit of an Easter egg. Okay. See what he's done there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, he definitely, you can tell from the beginning, he definitely killed him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did want to say, I'm just picking back off of what you said about the um, flashbacks. The great thing about Mike Flanagan, he will take his time to tell the story. Like, he will take his time to be sure that we are here and we're seated and we're listening and we're, like, you know, engaged in the story. And that's what I love because, of course, when you start watching the show, you're just trying to piece together what's going on, what's Mm -hmm. happening, what's going to happen next, how is everything coming together. But because there's so many moving parts to the show where we're working in the past and the present, and also like you know, there are three kinds past, of... present, and it also... was kind of a weird 
Yeah. It's weird because, like, the present is technically Roderick and um, Dupin. And the past could be seen as a flashback. But then we also have, like, the story, which is, like, everything yeah. that has been going on with him and his kids yeah. and their their deaths. And even when Roderick and Dupin are just sitting there talking, there's so much going on in that scene in of itself. Because you hear the weird yeah. wrestling in the um, basement. And it's like, oh, that's Madeline. You know, she's just, you know, yeah. Ryan, she's just down there, you know, working on her inventions. And I'm like, okay, but when is she going to come upstairs? Like, is she going to contribute yeah. to the story or does she just not want to, like, you know, say anything? And it's weird, you know, yeah. but it's just kind of like in the back of your mind because you're, you're following all the moving pieces. And I like it when there are moving pieces, but the storyteller knows how to bring it all together to make mm-hmm. it into a cohesive piece. Because when you have someone at the helm who doesn't know what your story needs to be or what it's yeah. coming to, how to come make it come to a head or how to draw, connect all the lines, then you have a mess. It's of a masterpiece. Yeah. And Flanagan does a great job of showing us all the sides of the story, but like in his own way mm-hmm. so that we can just kind of get it. I did. I did think that first episode for me personally was a bit, it was interesting and I liked all the different parts, but I was a bit sort of like, oh God, there's so much, there's so much happening. Mm-hmm. Like you said, because we're, we're in the flashbacks in the past and then we're like in the present conversation and then she's downstairs and then there's a ghost and then it's the flashbacks to the main storyline where they're in court and then like there's something happening with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, there's, there's so much going on here and it the first episode I was it, I enjoyed it but I was a bit like oh this is this is a lot and I was a yeah. bit worried at first that it was going to be like that the whole way through where it was like here's this here's this here's this but then from the second episode onward it I think the first episode was just sort of like okay we're setting the scene this is where we're going with this and then from the second episode onward I was like more used to it mm-hmm so I was like, okay, now this feels better and I want all of this information. I, mm-hmm. I need you to give me this. Yeah. Because without this, I can't watch the show. Yeah. So I But at first I was a bit like, oh It's a lot. Yeah. I agree with you. The first episode was a lot, and I feel like um him telling the story and us kinda like watching it unfold, it is a little bit like Blind Manor, you know? Mm-hmm. With the woman who's telling the story. Um to her grandchildren um yeah but i would love to like just dive deep into mainly just like the characters of the show because i find them to be so interesting and also mike flanagan you think you're so slick you gave this man seven kids as in the seven deadly sins like we would have seen oh it was six and then a granddaughter Okay, I think one of the seven deadly sins then is one of the either Roger or Madeline, or probably both of them. I think so. I yeah. think they both probably agreed because that's all they've been doing for, I don't for that know. whole thing. It's it's all. I don't think that they're agreed, um, but I have to double check and see because I did. No, we actually, you're right. Yeah, they're agreed. You're actually right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the bar scene. I just want to talk about that real quick. Um, yeah, I love i love how like it's so um it's just like picturesque and mm-hmm. how for a bar on new year's eve i feel like it was kind of empty 
if I'm being honest. Like, there were people there, but there weren't mm-hmm. a lot of people there. And that's also why I don't feel like she's a demon or she's death. Because when you see death personified in other shows and other media, it doesn't create, like, um, hallucinations of an entire, like venue where there are other people there it doesn't have that power it's just kind of like a person and it just kind of shows up and like you know tells you like hey you're a terrible person you've done wrong you're gonna die and i'm here to take you to where you're gonna go you know it doesn't that doesn't do a lot verna does a lot she is something of like a master in uh creating these you know like the cat and she's like all that she's kind of having fun with it as well like bit, yeah. she's she's not just there to be like okay i'm death i'm here to take you away mm-hmm. yeah she's given him the choice of like how they want to go like peacefully or not but like i think she's having a bit of fun with them as well mm-hmm. throughout yeah like yeah. with the bar like with the bar to get them in i understand that was like to get Roderick and madeline in but then like the few bits and pieces that she does throughout like with uh tamaline like when she goes in to be the the sex worker that they hire and and other things, it's just it is she's so, enjoying herself. Yeah, and it's also that like little ironic um, that you know the irony for us, the dramatic irony for the audience of us seeing her pop up in their lives and us being like, uh uh-uh, uh, yeah. get away from that lady, get away from her, but she's oh, no. dangerous. <laughs> and they don't know that because there's still like real like you know photos of her, like some mention of her and like. Prospero's death and then when yeah. Kim Camille dies it's like it was the ape you know and then it's Napoleon and like it was Napoleon he like <laughs> threw himself from a balcony like all of the um deaths that they face all seem like um kind of like for Prospero it was carelessness for Camille it was her wanting to get like the dirt on her sister for Napoleon. Yeah. He was kind of like driven over the edge with the lifestyle he was living. So there's yeah. no way to pinpoint one person on it when it seems like it's their own fault that this happened. So of course they're not going to be looking out yeah. for some skinny lady with dark brown hair yeah. and piercing black eyes with a sweet smile. Unless you're, uh, unless you're Mark Hamill's fantastic portrayal of. Uh... Arthur oh god, what's his name? Arthur Pym. Yes. I loved him in this show. I thought he was really good. He just pops up every now and again and he's like, I'm here to save the day. And I know that there's this lady and I've put this together somehow. And oh, I, he's like, uh, I, li- I really liked him in that show. I love Mark Hamill so much. Yeah. Like, he's such, he's a phenomenal actor. Really, seeing him in this. And then yeah. also, I've been re watching uh, What We Do in the Shadows. So when I got to the Jackie Daytona episode and I see him, it's like, this man is too good. He's too good. Uh, Someone got to stop this guy. Gosh. He's amazing. No, oh, he's great. Yes. Okay. So um, with the bar scene, I feel like I can understand where Madeline and Roderick are coming from because... Um, uh, Verna tells them she's like what if your kids could live 50 to 60 years comfortable not worrying about anything or 70 years of great anxiety and they know that like their mom they have a lot of money they're poor Roderick he's married he has a kid he has two kids actually mm-hmm. and he's yeah. 
worried about it, about money. He's worried about what this trial is going to do to him. Madeline, you know, she's really smart. She's very helpful. She's incredibly strategic and, you know, meticulous mm -hmm. in her planning. But they both know what it's like to have to scrounge around for food and not know, like, how to take care of yourself if you don't have enough money to take care of you. And mm -hmm. they made this pact that they're going to put wealth and success above all else. So when you have somebody who's willing to, like, give that to you, it's like, okay, why not? Yeah, sure. And... Yeah. Me, me, myself, and I, I'm not going to lie. If I end up in a bar after I did something terribly wrong to secure my success, and that person tells me, look, I know what you did, but you know what? I'm going to make sure it goes away, and I'm going to make you rich on top of that. What'd you say? And I say yes, and I leave the bar, and then it disappears behind me. I'm not going to act like it yeah. didn't happen. I'm not going to act like I didn't just yeah. see that person. Yeah. I'm not delusional. Yeah, they act like they just completely forgot about it after some time, and I'm like, they act like it didn't uh, I mean, this is the night that changed your life forever, and you're just gonna forget that that happened. You walk out of the bar, you turn around, it's gone, and there is just graffiti, uh, newspapers, and a sign of a raven on top of it. Yeah, yeah. I. That's not something that. That's not a normal thing to happen, my no, guys. That that it's is not. that is weird. And, uh, but I feel like you can't just forget about that after 10 years. No, but I feel like I kind of see not why, but for Madeline to somehow think that that conversation never happened, Verna doesn't really exist, they're never in the bar. Mm -hmm. It's that delusion that sometimes rich people have where they believe that they can help change the world when your own wealth yeah. and success is a direct result of how terribly screwed up the world is. You know how like Roger yeah. continually refuses to take accountability for the debts that came from his drug, Ligadude, which is supposed yeah. to be like some kind of variation of oxycodone, you know, and yeah. him constantly being like, I mean, I came up with the idea, but I didn't make it. I'm not a scientists i didn't prescribe it to people yeah. i didn't tell them to take the drug i didn't force people to become addicted to it like if you know how to manage it yeah. you know how to manage it and he even like marries a woman who takes so much of it every day yeah. to the point where like it's strange and it's strange how she's able to walk and operate like a human being taking that many pills like when i saw yeah. how many she swallowed I was like, uh-uh. If I take more than one pill, I will literally just like, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> for, to take a handful of them, like oh. their skills, and just down the hatch. I can't just do it. Down. Oh, I yeah. No. Do it. Like, I don't know. Also, Ruth Cod, great actress, phenomenal. Um, I wanted to watch the Midnight Club just because she was in it, but then I was like, I can't do Dying Kids. I can't do it. Yeah. But no. she's really great at the show. She's she's really good in uh, Midnight Club as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. In case you do watch Midnight Club, I don't want to spoil it for you too much. Mm -hmm. But like, there is technically only one child death in the show, if that makes sense. Um, they're all in this hospital and they're all terminally ill. So you know that they will die, but only one of them actually dies in the show hmm. and the the main thing of the story is the stories that they tell each other every night and i think 
I think one of the reasons that I didn't like it is that it's not got the same vibe as most of his shows. It's a little, it's still a horror, but it's like, it's not the same kind of vibe as a Mike Flanagan show. And, but it, it was still good. I'd definitely watch it because it can be difficult because you know, like, okay, these are teenagers and they're dying and you know that that's what's happening with them. But, it's also quite beautiful to see how they like overcome this fear of of what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. And there's some beautiful moments in it as well. Like it tackles a lot to do, like we said, the themes that he has in his other shows, like grief and loneliness and and the like inevitable, like what's going to happen and how do you deal with that. So I definitely recommend watching it. It's not one of my favorite, but definitely check it out. But she is fantastic in that show she's one of the best parts of it yeah i may check out the midnight club um because watching the fall that's of usher did make me miss south flanagan's works so maybe i'll actually like finally watch one of his movies um and i was surprised when he announced the midnight club and that being released but i'm not I'm not that surprised that was released because ever since Stranger Things has come out, Netflix has been trying to make a lot more movies and TV shows like Stranger Things, like um, mm-hmm. uh, Night... Nope, not that. Uh, Fear Street, the f- movie trilogy that they release, um, 1994, 1986, and 1666. Um, that yeah. kind of gives off like a Stranger Things vibe especially because like two actresses from the Stranger Things series they are also in the trilogy the movie trilogy and right um it is interesting that like this show which is a Mike Flanagan show you know Mike Flanagan has been all the shows are generally like positively reviewed and well watched and usually like one of the top viewed shows on Netflix's streaming platform that they will happily post. You know what I mean? That usually happens with Mike Flanagan shows. And Midnight Club also having a younger cast appeals to Gen Z and, you know, trying to draw them in to watch the show as well. But for it to be cancelled was such a strange thing that kind of came out of nowhere. And I don't, it's not on Mike Flanagan because he's a phenomenal director. And of course it's different from like Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. But so is Midnight Mass. And I feel like Midnight Mass is kind of like an underrated masterpiece, but Midnight Mass still did well. And Midnight Club kind of like has all the workings to do well. And it's strange because like, it seems like Netflix has been changing the way they do like, um, or changing the way they handle original series in a way where a lot of times, like I've seen this in like the movies they've been making, they will pay for a big star to be in the film so that people will click the movie and watch it, but then it proceeds to be the most uneventful, boring, cookie-cutter movie they've seen. And they yeah. ride heavily on genre films, and horror in particular, to draw people in to watch these things and like drive up their numbers and everything like that. But whenever it doesn't like exceed expectations, then they're like, okay, well, you know what? Screw that. It doesn't get another season. It's not getting another movie, you know, it's not mm-hmm. being greenlit. And I think they just focus yeah. too much on everything being like a massive hit rather than letting things kind of build over time and get better and better. Because I think one good example of this is The Bear on FX. Because that show is very good. 
And I feel like it was kind of mm-hmm. underrated in its first season, but it got a lot of positive reviews from critics. And then the second season came out, and it even more people watched it because so many people raved about the first season. When the second season came out, it gives people something to binge, and that gives people more interested in the show. And it got a lot more press, a lot more buzz, and a lot more people were into the show after the second season came out. And if you're expecting, like, yeah. a number one hit from every single show you release on your platform that has so yeah. much stuff on there every time is unrealistic and it's ridiculous and they're more than happy to just like cancel something if you know because they don't want to spend they don't want to spend money producing another season of a well-done tv show they want to do another season of love is blind or the ultimatum or too hot to handle or any of their other absolutely awful terrible dating shows that i wish did not continue on like the lachey's I don't know what I did to you in a past life, but you need to leave me alone. All right. <laughs> the torture has got to stop. No. Oh, oh God. No, I, yeah, I don't, I just, I can't remember who I was talking with about this recently, but we were saying about how Netflix just has so, so much on there. Like, I think I agree with you. They need to start investing more in the stuff that like, people enjoy rather than getting out these like oh, these these shows that I never watch or like mm-hmm. um or like renewing things that okay yeah they've got a big following but do we necessarily need to have like a fifth or sixth or seventh season of like what was of, of all these shows I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm not very big with like watching series because mm. I always worry Game of Thrones ruined this for me, I think, because I invested so much time in Game of Thrones and then it ended the way that it did mm-hmm. and I, I hated it. So now I'm afraid to invest a lot of time in a TV show and in the end just be disappointed. I think that's what it is for me. I so, feel like not even with like Game of Thrones because like the whole situation with that show is the whole conversation in of itself. But for me... Yeah. Um, for this year and also last year, there have been a, there have been a lot of my favorite shows that have unfortunately ended, and a lot mm-hmm. of times either they end kind of like abruptly, or they have gone on for a while and then they end. But because it's a final season, you know, a lot of times when shows end, they want to still introduce new characters, new concepts, or try something else. And it's kind of like, can we just stick to the same formula that has been working for the past? A couple seasons, please. Like, yeah. the most recent example for me is Sex Education, because I finished watching that show, and I love Sex Education. Sex Education is one of Netflix's best TV shows they have ever created. It is truly a masterpiece, one of a kind. I could only hope that every single kid who watched 13 Reasons Why watches Sex Education, because that's actually the show for that audience. Because I feel yeah. like it fits them very well and like will help them out with any kind of struggles that they have with growing up and things like that. Um, but the final season came out and there were parts of it that I liked. But overall, like from the very jump, I was like, oh no. Oh no, please, oh. no. And there's one thing that they did with one of the main characters at the end that truly pissed me off. <laughs> I was kind of like, actually, you know what? Y'all play too much. Y'all think no. <laughs> In fact, no. Because... I want to go back to the writer's room and figure out when y'all make this decision. That way I could be there and tell you absolutely not. I don't think so. And just let you know a hundred reasons why this is not what you should do and how you should end this character story. Because what do you mean? 
What do you mean? But, um, yeah. Let's get back to. Oh. Yeah, let's, let's stop backmounting Netflix yes. for now. It's easy enough to do, but let's. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> Every single episode. And I also want to say um, if there is a Netflix rep that happens to be listening to this and thinking, hmm, should we let this girl, you know, be someone that we reach out to for press events and screeners? Look. Please. <laughs> Just because I said that your um, streaming service cancels things too much doesn't mean I don't want to work with you guys. Who would you think that? Yeah, look, you want honest opinions. Yeah. So. <laughs> do you, want you don't with... want someone who's just going to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, do you want to work with someone who's honest or do you want to work with a little bitch? Like, what is it? <laughs> Make your choice, Netflix. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get back to the fall of the House of Usher. Um, so we talked about the bar scene. So I would like to talk a little bit about Prospero, a.k.a. Perry, who is the first person to pass away. He's also the youngest. And it makes me sad that he died because, like, he did seem like an interesting character. I'm not going to lie. I thought he was kind of funny a little bit. Like, when he went to the... This this man walks into a deposition thinking that it's a meeting. And he's (laughs) like, oh, this is one of ours? And they're like, okay, so you take fault for it. It's like... Oh my god, Perry, can you pay attention for 10 seconds, please? Can you listen? Yeah. Can you do that for me? Oh. And look, I did. I, I, I do wish we'd have seen more of him because I agree. He could have been like a really fun character to sort of like, okay, let's see a bit more. Especially like at the party he has when he's in that little back room with all the TV screens and he's like, this is the real money maker. Like he basically wants to start some kind of blackmailing scheme for like the rich and the famous. And I'm like, oh, I kind of wish we could have seen where that would have gone with him. Yeah. Like that would have been that would have been an interesting direction for him to take. Yeah, when he's pitching it to his obviously grandparents, it is so funny to me when Roderick fully shoots him down. He's like, we are not doing... We are a pharmaceutical company. We do not do hoochie bars. Okay? <laughs> Find a new idea. That was honestly yeah. perfect to me. Because it's great that Roderick wants to, like, you know, keep it in the family. You know, he's like, you have the house of name Usher. You're my child. You know, you can be... You have a piece of the kingdom. You just have to, mm-hmm. you know, prove yourself. And all these kids are yeah. trying so hard to prove themselves to their dad. Yeah. And Perry is one of them. And um, I feel like the nightclub is an interesting idea, especially because it's in the um, one of those abandoned buildings. Like, that honestly sounds really cool. But yeah. it's very... Like, if you're listening to the deposition, and you're paying attention yeah. to the, the scene, you can tell yeah. that there are some harmful chemicals sitting on top of the ceiling... And then when they mention the harmful chemicals, like the guy mentions that like there's no water, there's no main line, like the sprinklers are connected yeah. to anything, and they're like these you know containers on the ceiling, and he's like, oh, just connected to them. I'm sitting here like, hello, yeah. Perry. Perry, no, <laughs> no. What are you doing? He just said it doesn't. I have to say that that scene, like. 
I was so nervous because he kept mentioning the tanks on the city, on the roof, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh God, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something really, really bad." And then when you see Perry's ghost, when um, Roderick is talking, mm-hmm. and you see what he looks like, and you're like, "Oh God, something like he looks he looks melted." So something really, really bad is going to happen. But that scene, when it's actually like his death scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about that because I'm sure there has been gorier things that Mike Flanagan has done in his films, but that to me is one of the most gory and one of the worst death scenes in like a good way. Oh, it was terrible in a good way. You nasty, nasty man. All right. I know we're on Netflix. I know this is streaming. I know the FCC can't do anything about it, but oh my gosh, can we have a little decency, please? I like... I expected some of some kind of go going into it because it's like a horror and it's like we we kind of knew what was going on, but when that happened, I was like, oh god, I was not, I was not expecting that. Hmm. And then like when everyone starts screaming and they all start melt, I was just like, oh, oh my god. Let me tell you something. When Perry shows up to his brother's house and talks to uh, Maury. I was just like, oh no, don't do it, girl. Like, he's don't talking to her it. and he's like, you know, I'm, first of all, like, you're a grown woman. Yeah. You're a grown woman. And there is essentially a 19 year old coming to you asking him to go to his orgy. Are we that yeah. bored? Are we really yeah. that bored? I know that you have to, I know you make cakes for a living. Like, you know, you know how to do Starbucks cake. Also, I find it so funny that that's her hobby. Like, she was a model and an actress before, then now that's her hobby. So it's a case thing. Oh. It's so... It makes me cringe. It made me cringe so much the in the scene when they're having a family Netflix dinner. show based off of that, like a whole reality show, is complete. It's awful, in my opinion. I feel like Is It Cake is just, like, nailed it, but in a different iteration. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Have you seen the show Nailed It? No, okay. no, but I can imagine what it is just by you saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the show Nailed It is another cake decorating competition where you have to make these cakes that are like, you know, like a fountain or like a unicorn okay. you know, or like a cake pop that's like the face of like Justin Timberlake. You know what I mean? And they have people who okay. are terrible bakers, the worst bakers in America to try and make these things. Okay. And I'm watching Is It Cake? and nailed it it's just it's the same thing kind of i've never actually seen a full episode of is it cake because it's a dumb show and netflix only made it yeah. to get more money no. and they have some random it guy sounds like on it no it just sounds like the worst it sounds like the worst possible thing and then i have to admit the scene in the show where they go into that family dinner and she brings out her like pharmaceutical law cake with her starbucks coffee cup cake and they're doing that thing where she's like, I thought we could all, like, really bigging it up. And I was just like, I hate, this is the worst, this is the worst part of this series. <laughs> like, I can deal with the horror, I can deal with the goal, but please don't give me this amount of cringe, please. <laughs> I was just like, I was just dying because Roderick was like, oh, that's amazing. He actually sounded amazed by it. And Madeline's just sitting there like expressionless i would be i would be madeline in that situation i would be like make this stop please make this stop (laughs) she's like get this cake out of my face right now yeah yeah Yeah. um and they're about to have like a super serious conversation and mm -hmm. she's like cake (laughs) 
Yeah, like, okay, so let's take the Starbucks cupcake away and let's bring out, you know, the new NDAs. And also, if you guys find out who the mole is for this trial that's going on, um, you get $10 million. It's $10 million, right? Or like a ridiculous it's amount of money. Something like it's something like, like 10 or 50 or something stupid. Honestly, um, it's like, I don't know if it's funny. I don't know what it is. But for you to pit your children against each other after you've already pitted them against each other to win your love and favor, to now find out yeah. who the mole is in your family, that yeah. is cold-blooded, sir. Is that really what family's about? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so weird because, mm. like, th- I think at times, and I think this is one of the good things about how he has Roderick in the show is that Sometimes you're like, okay, he seems like he's really, he really loves his family, especially his granddaughter. But then other times I'm like, this man does not give a damn about his kids. He does not care at all about any of them because he's literally put a bounty on their heads. And like the way he speaks to um, uh, Frederick in the hospital in episode three and he's like this is your fault could mm-hmm. you imagine saying that someone whose wife is lying there like melted yeah he's like this is your fault because you didn't get that building torn down like damn that's harsh yeah that is expecting so much out of your kids and expecting them to be able to move heaven and hell just like win your favor it's ridiculous because they have to move like extra incredibly harmful chemicals that are like hazardous and things are not easy yeah. to move and like how was he supposed to know that Paris is going to throw a rave? Nobody knew. Yeah. Especially, uh, except uh, uh, Napoleon. But he couldn't imagine that was going to be in like one of the yeah. condemned buildings. Because he didn't even know that. That was a secret. It was a company secret. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it is terrible oh, yeah. how quickly he is going to blame his own son for his misstep. You yeah. are the one who used to have harsh chemicals in the lab and then shut it down and you want your son to get do your dirty work for you you know yeah but i think this goes back to what you were saying before about how like he never takes responsibility for well he never takes responsibility for anything not for the people who he's like harmed or killed he doesn't take it for the buildings doesn't take it for anything that his kids do Mm -hmm. or anything like that he's just like not my problem i didn't do it not my problem, not my issue. You can't blame me. Listen, yeah. I just because I brought it here and I, you know, made this drug and it was my idea, doesn't mean it's my fault. Why would you say that? Yeah. Why would you blame me for that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's but, uh, no, Prospero. Cool. Mm-hmm. He obviously, you know, symbolizes lust. Um, and then there is. Camille, his name. Yes. She, oh my gosh, she's so much fun as a character. Come on, yeah. PR person. Come on, like, uh, stylish and beautiful and knows everybody's secrets. Like, she is, mm. first of all, like, Mike Flanagan casting his wife as, like, the super hot, super interesting character in all this works. Goog, come on. Yeah. He's obsessed with her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I kind of love that for him. Like, you go for it, Mike. You do what you've got to do. Yeah. And I think this is I think this is one of my favorite roles that she's done in 
in the shows. I, like I said, I've not watched any of his films. I know she's been in some of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, the Netflix series that he's done, and she's in all of them, um, I think this is my favourite role that she's done mm-hmm. out of all of them. I just loved her so much in it, and I thought she was just great. Oh, yeah. She was really good in this. Like, Tina, yeah. I know your name is... I don't care, Beth. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that whole scene <laughs> was so funny to me. And, oh my gosh. First of all, she's obviously a genius. And she's obviously, like, very, very clever. And her mm-hmm. beef with... Her beef with Victorine was so... <gasps> aggressive like girl what is it what is it like this girl's experimenting on monkeys i don't think her job is easy you know what i mean but yeah she is the family's spin master in a way and she really did like break it down perfectly um in that first meeting after prospero died prospero died i feel like enough people were sad that their brother is dead yeah. like they i feel like in their heads yeah. they're kind of like okay one last notch off the totem pole and that means I'm closer to the top because there's less people to compete yeah. with. You know what I mean? Like, I hate that. Yeah. But that's obviously what they're thinking, how they're feeling. Um, so Vic, she kind of just, like, brings up the point that, like, nobody in their family created anything or does anything. You know, Napoleon is seen as this game developer, but he doesn't really develop games. He pays people to develop games for him. And, like, Victorine, yeah. sure, she made the heart mesh, but, like, does it actually work? Like, is she actually producing something? Tamerlan pays people for like pseudoscience pseudoscience and like a lifestyle magazines bs that you don't really need or want but they sell it like an exorbitant amount to try and sell you know the fountain of youth to you and you know looking a little bit better when you turn 30 even though turning 30 is not a death sentence you'll be fine if you have like a wrinkle you know it doesn't even matter and then she spins she takes all the things that they do and she spins like that's all that she does. Yeah. And Frederick is that's a um, Roderick, you know. Yeah, that's the the bit that she says when she goes around when Camille goes around to see Napoleon um, in episode three mm-hmm. to talk to him about his meetings that he's going to have, and she sits there and she says something like, um, "We're all working in smoke and mirrors, and I just spin and I spin and I spin to keep it all going." And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's perfect. That's That was beautifully written, first yes. of all. But second of all, like, that's exactly what she does. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And I... Uh... I love that. <laughs> but I, I listened to the story of the murder in the room org. Mm-hmm. And because after I'd watched it, I was like, okay, she gets she gets killed by this, by this monkey. That's an interesting choice mm-hmm. but, and I was like okay I need to see how he's changed the story for the show but no in the story in the original Edgar Allan Poe story Camille in that story gets killed by a monkey and I was like okay that is a, an interesting choice but he does it He does it really well he does the whole because um, you don't really click with that's where she's going until she kind of gets there, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. When she was taking the pictures of the monkeys and had the flash on, I was like, girl, what are these monkeys going to fit to come for you? Just don't do it with the flash yeah. on. No, no, no. As soon as the flash was on, I was like, oh, they're going to be so angry <sighs> with you. I was like, it's so over. mad. It's over. It's done. 
Her tomb, her tombstone has been made. Her her grave yeah. has been dug. All right. Yeah. But I also like how she just kind of accepts it at the end. She's yeah. like, okay, whatever. She's like, I got mine. Yeah. You know? She's like, my pictures go to the cloud. All right. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. I am prepared. I back up my backups. <laughs> and I find it so interesting. This is also why I think that Verna is a trickster god rather than just like death or a demon. Because she shapeshifts into the monkey, you know? Yeah. And, like, she pulls up the camera and takes the picture. It's not Verna anymore. It's a monkey. And I was thinking, like, oh, she's going to take a picture of Verna. It's going to be so smart. And it's a monkey. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, again. She got away with it again. Yeah. She's out here. Again. And I found the death to be, like, kind of deserving. Because mm-hmm. you see the way that she treated her assistants, Toby and Beth, and how she just sees them as objects to, like, do her dirty work and then please her when she is needed and she throws them away as soon as they are they inconvenience her in any kind of way and she mm-hmm. is willing to you know obviously go into places where she's not supposed to be to simply get the scoop that she is vying for that way she can take her sister down and she is focused on herself she is so selfish in a way just because she is envious of everything her sister's done because she's the yeah. one who keeps who upholds the image of her family in a positive yeah. light in the best way that she can because they run a pharmaceutical company like that's hard yeah. but um her sister is the one who is closer to their dad, you know, because they're the bastards. They're not like the legitimate children yeah. of Roderick Usher. And um, Victorine seems like one of the favorites of the bastards because she's the one who's creating this life-saving technology. So Camille now getting the chance to take down her sister at any means necessary and then gets ripped apart by a gorilla. That's, I mean, horrible. It's a horrible way to die, but at the same time it's like... Yeah. Kind of, kind of had it coming. I can't, mean, can't say it was like. Guess it was a surprise. Yeah. Guess we didn't see it coming. This yeah. is what happens if you walk into a freaking room full of monkeys to try and find some dirt on your sister. Sorry, I feel like babe. we all know what's going to happen. Though. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, babe. It's just, it is what it is at the end of the day. So, Camille, unfortunately, you know, is ripped apart, and then there's Leo. Um, he yes. is Napoleon, and I do want to say Robo Coley. Oh my gosh, he's one of my favorite actors. I love him so. Oh, I am in love with that man. <laughs> I am so in love with that man. <laughs> <laughs> we were both just like, oh my god. <laughs> he is so wonderful, and he's so good in this show. Also, the fact that he's like the only person who's sad because his siblings are dying. I feel that. Yeah. Like, that is so harmful because, like, it seems like um, with the siblings, obviously online there are a bunch of people who are trying to, like, see, like, who's the worst sibling? Like, who really deserved it the most? Yeah. And I think because Rule is such a likable person in real life, and he usually does. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of I've Been Meaning to Watch That. I am your host, Monica. Feel free to check us out. On all our social media platforms, as I said already at the end of the podcast, but I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened and the fact that you made it till the end means so much to me. I created this podcast to talk about movies and TV shows with friends of mine and to have such wonderful, dedicated, amazing listeners 
makes this worth it. So can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Have a great day. Bye-bye.